Lord, I am thankful for the opportunity to meet together for worship, for encouragement, and for a time of learning without the threat of the church being burned down, without the threat of me being thrown in jail or killed for my faith, which is reality for many fellow believers around the world. May we not take that freedom for granted. Lord, help us to submit when it is time to submit and stand up and defend our faith and your truth when the need arises. A faithful servant of yours also often prays, Lord, let this book come alive, referring to the Bible. I ask for the same today. May your truth grow in our hearts and change our lives. Lord, I pray you would give us desire to know your word and to seek you for all of our days. Lord, I would like to be your servant this morning and speak words that will edify your children, that would bring salvation to the lost, and most importantly, would be pleasing and honoring to you. I will thank you in advance for what you will do in us today. Well, I want to welcome you here to this place, and I am so glad to see you all out there. Some of you I'm glad to only see from the eyes up. It's a treat for my eyes. But at any rate, that's mean. I shouldn't have said that while I looked at John Rudder. But uh, well, just kidding. Um, we're going to be reading from God's Word this morning. The book, the book that I prayed would come alive in us. We'll read from God's Word this morning in the Old Testament and Isaiah. I want to give you just a little bit of information on uh, Isaiah. The book of Isaiah was uh, most likely written by the prophet Isaiah. Uh, some think that it was uh, part of it was written by uh, some people that he had taught, but uh, we'll give credit to the the, um, the book of Isaiah to Isaiah, to Isaiah. He was a Hebrew prophet of God who shared messages with the nation of Israel while they were in Babylonian captivity. The words that we will read today were recorded somewhere around 740 to 700 B.C. The Hebrew meaning of the name Isaiah is Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. What an appropriate message that we will read this morning that comes through a man uh, bearing that name. Yahweh is salvation. So we're going to be reading from uh, Isaiah chapter 52 and uh, uh, 53. Um, want to share just a little bit of uh, worthless information with you this morning before we read that. Um, some brief history. In the days before cell phones and uh, Facebook and radios, automobiles and fast horses, news did not travel as quickly as it does nowadays. I think that would be a blessing. Anybody else with me on that? Um, so in, in the times that, that we're reading from here, the message was recorded. Um, the, the, the messages were uh, um, transferred by people on foot. They had runners that would uh, carry a message. When a military was out engaged in battle, they would have runners that would relay the messages uh, back to the king or whoever was waiting at home. And you could tell what kind of message... Uh, to be expected by the speed and posture of the runner. You've heard the uh, the word good news travels fast. Well, a runner wanting to share good news with those that were waiting kept up a little better pace. One that was bearing bad news would delay the pain of the message with slower steps. With that in mind, um, I'm going to read for you um, verse 30, uh, chapter... Man, I got that written wrong. Chapter 52... And verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains 
are the feet of Him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Isaiah had beautiful feet. He was bringing good news of salvation for all those who would listen. I'm not going to show you my feet today, and you can be thankful for that, but I have the privilege today of sharing good news of salvation that the Lord has provided for each and every one of us in this room. It is my hope and my prayer today that you will be reminded of the goodness of God and have a new appreciation for what He has done for you, or for the first time, you will realize what has been done for you by a wonderful, powerful, merciful, gracious, loving God who desires good things for you. And Lord, I ask again, before we read, let this book come alive in us. So if we read, uh, if you want to follow along with me, we'll read uh, a little bit of a long reading, but uh, I I think it's good to hear it all. Um, Isaiah 52, we'll start in verse 13 and read until, uh, read all of verse, uh, chapter 53. 52, 13, we'll start. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high, just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground." He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who would declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death 
and He was numbered with the transgressors. And He bore the sin of many and made intercessions for the transgressors. That's a lot of verses. And I'm going to tell you, I cannot begin to do that passage justice this morning in the time we have or the knowledge I have. Um, what I hope we do this morning is, is learn something, but I hope it also encourages you to go home and dig into this passage and see what else the Lord will teach you when you dive into His Word. So, as we read that, I just wonder, does any name or any event from history come to mind? Does that remind you of anybody while you read through that? It's a good, easy Sunday school answer. Jesus, good answer. Jesus. Jesus and the crucifixion. These words were written about Jesus 700 years or so before He arrived on earth. And if you question whether this is about Jesus or not, I would encourage you to read through the New Testament and see the number of Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. You can start in the Gospel of John, chapter 18 and 19, and see if any of what you read coordinates with the words from Isaiah. Uh, so this is a messianic prophecy. And what does that mean? Well, throughout the Old Testament, God was making it clear uh, that mankind had a need. They had a problem. And He promised through the prophets that He would send a Messiah, a promised deliverer, a solution to the problem. And these verses were given so the nation would recognize the deliverer when he came. Um, when I'm studying a passage, oftentimes I will read a couple verses and write it down in my own words and read some more and write it down. I kind of paraphrase it, put it in my language. I, I, I hate to think this, but maybe I'm dumbing it down a little bit to fit my uh, uh, mentality level there or whatever. But uh, with that being said, it helps me to make it uh, make sense. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit um, from this passage for you this morning, um, share some of my thoughts on what this passage is about, and I hope you will. Uh, it, it might help you understand a little better. Um, first off, I want to mention I am. I am. That is a name that God used for Himself. When uh, uh, Moses uh, encountered God in the burning bush, and he uh, had the conversation with him, and he said, "Well, well who are you? Who should I tell? Uh, uh, who should I tell them that uh, sent me?" God said, "I am. I am," which doesn't make a you know, doesn't quite compute with us, but it also uh, God could have also said, "I exist." That's what matters, right? I exist. I am. So I'm going to refer to the uh, name I am a couple times throughout this um, as we study through this passage. So these are my words paraphrasing the Scripture now. I am is at work, and many will see it and be startled. This work will be fulfilled by His servant, and He will succeed, but not how you expect not with beauty or magnificence or a great physical or military strength. No earthly kingdom, well, at least not yet. Many will not recognize it at first, but eventually this work will be revealed to all, and all will be amazed. I am providing the solution for mankind's problem. Now, I know with me, I can probably speak for some of you, it is easy to point out problems in this life. We magnify the shortcomings of our leaders. We talk about our neighbors. 
uh, who do not live up to our standards, and parents who aren't parenting it as good as we do, are we that quick to recognize our own problems and dysfunction? G.K. Chesterton was a prolific writer, theologian, and philosopher, among other things, who lived in the early 20th century. He received a request to write an article to address the question, what is wrong with our world today? His reply was two simple words, I am. Now don't get that mistaken with the title, I am, referring to God. G.K. Chesterton was quick to admit, the problem with this world is me. The problem with this world is you. We have a problem. I'm going to paraphrase again from, from Isaiah. God says we have a problem. We have all gone astray. We have rebelled against Him because of our iniquities, our transgressions, our sins, the things that we do that He asks us not to. We have no peace with Him. And the price to restore that peace is more than any of us could ever repay. The Old Testament law gave a standard of what mankind needed to do to have peace with the Holy God. Made it very clear how inadequate our efforts would be. God teaches that the wages of sin, another way to say our transgressions and iniquities, is death and all that, and, and that all have sinned and fallen short of His glory. I'm going to go back and ask you a question again. Are you as quick as C.K. Chesterton to recognize that we have a problem? If you're not, or if you don't think you have a problem, then you have no need for what God has done. But if you can admit that we do have a problem, and the problem is that sin destroys our peace with God, and we need to be reconciled, we'll be of good cheer. Because the Father has great news for you. He loves you, and He will bring life where sin has caused death, peace where it has been lost. The price required for restoration will be paid in full. How's that going to be paid in full? He describes it to us in uh, Isaiah. Again, I'm going I'm to paraphrase. He has a plan and a servant who will succeed in fulfilling that plan. That sacrificial servant will pay a high price for your peace. He will be marred beyond recognition until he will be repulsive to those around him. He will carry the weight of the world on his wounded shoulders. He will be rejected by those he has come to help, pierced, bruised, beaten, wounded, oppressed, afflicted, slaughtered, cut off from the land of the living by those he came to save. And continuing to paraphrase, oh, but great praise to the servant who could have said no, could have stopped the process with a whisper at any time, could have thought of himself instead of others and rightly said, you do not deserve this wonderful great grace. Great praise to the one who chose to willingly give up his life, silently keep his power under control and allow the created to take the life of the Creator. I want to give you just a quick note. The description of, of how this servant would be tortured, beaten, ultimately murdered, did not fit with Jewish tradition. When, they, uh, when the Jews carried out a uh, uh, capital punishment, it was 90% of the time was stoning. Um, that didn't go along with the pierced and uh, um, the description we have in uh, from Isaiah. 
So it wasn't, probably wasn't clear to them. They didn't have a good understanding. Very interesting. Through the Roman occupation, uh, approximately the time of Jesus' birth, uh, crucifixion for execution was introduced into the Jewish society. Uh, God is always working. God always knows what's going on. And even when you read this 700 years before, and it doesn't quite make sense, it makes sense because God knows what He's talking about. It was a, uh, a picture of a gruesome sacrifice on, uh, uh, through crucifixion. But to continue to paraphrase from Isaiah, many believed that this servant was put to death for his own iniquities, that he was being punished for his wrongdoing, but soon all will see him exalted and they will understand he gave his life that, uh, so that small helpless creatures could have life. And the Father will reward him beyond measure. And I want you to pay attention to this. As crazy as this sounds, the Father will reward the servant and we will share in that reward. How about that? I want to read a verse that should shake us to our core. It is a a proclamation of the love the Father has for us. I won't paraphrase. I'll read this from 53.10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's all I need to read there. It, pre- it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Well, the question, does that mean it makes the Father happy what he's seeing here? No. doesn't make him happy, but it pleased and it satisfied him because what was once given away has been bought back. Peace has been restored. And God says, my children have been brought home. My children have been brought home. I hope you don't uh, let that, just hear that and let it pass quickly. God considers us, calls us His beloved children. That is a wonderful privilege, honor, and blessing that we have. I want to just share a thing quick with you. If you doubt your worth, If you doubt that God loves you, I want you to meditate on that thought until it sinks in. God loved you enough to sacrifice His servant, which we find out in the New Testament is His Son, so that you could have peace, so that you could have a relationship with the Father who desires you. I want you to take some time this week to read John chapter 18 and 19 and see for yourself whether this messianic prophecy was fulfilled by Jesus. I want to share a quick note from uh, John chapter 18, and, and I'm going to read that for you, a, a portion of that. And by the way, we are um, um, got some men that I meet with during the week, and uh, we are in going through the book of John, and it's... Uh, um, very timely. God worked this out. We are in chapter, we've been in chapter 18 and 19 for the last few weeks, which is a fulfillment of the uh, uh, prophecy, the messianic prophecy from Isaiah that I get to speak on today. It's just uh, fun how God's always coordinating things like that. But uh, um, so um, I want to read to you quickly from uh, chapter 18. 
Um, and let me just set up the story for you. Jesus, this is the, the, uh, the night that he was betrayed. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with, uh, with his disciples. Judas comes to betray him. And I, I don't, I'm not sure about you, but I had the, uh, the impression that when Judas showed up, he probably showed up with 10, maybe 15 people. We've been studying that more. He came with a cohort, which is, uh, um, up to five, 500 to 600 armed Roman soldiers. He also came with uh, uh, servants of the, the Pharisees and the high priest. And what they were doing was coming to make sure if there was any revolt by Jesus' followers, they could squash it quickly and do what they came to do. Think about that. Probably at least 500 armed Roman guards. So if I pick up here in uh, um, verse 4 of 18... Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. We have in there added he in italics so because it makes more sense to us. I am he. But Jesus' uh, answer to them was I am. And what that was was a proclamation that he was God. And let's notice what the... The, uh, the band of heavily armed, tough Roman soldiers did when Jesus said this. Verse 6, Now when He said to them, I am He, they drew back and they fell to the ground. You ever paid attention to that? So, I am not sure, but I believe what Jesus was doing was giving them a little, bit of ta- a little taste of His power. And He wanted to show them I don't care whether you brought 500 soldiers, 5,000 soldiers, or 100,000 soldiers, you would absolutely not take me if I was not ready to go. He set them on the ground to show them who was in charge, and then he allowed them to get back up and be a part of the fulfillment of prophecy. That excites me. I'm seeing that. Excites me so much, I'm a little lost where I am here, so give me just a second. Um, as we continue, let me, I'll just follow up on my notes here, make sure I'm in the right spot. Jesus was not forced. He volunteered to take our place. And as you continue to read through John and the other Gospels of the, uh, the fulfillment of prophecy and the words Jesus spoke on the cross, uh, one that he, uh, as he hung on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think he completely knew the answer because he knew what he was there for. And the answer was, Father, you have forsaken me so you don't have to forsake your children. Jesus was on the cross because we should have been on the cross. The servant succeeded in the uh, uh, fulfilling the plan of the Father um, by uh, taking, the, taking the, uh, uh, the, the penalty that we deserved. I also want to point out, um, and for some reason I feel like I need to do this, as Jesus hung on the cross, He said, it is finished. And Jesus didn't mean that His life was finished. He didn't mean that the pain was over. What He meant was, Father, it is fulfilled. Prophecy is fulfilled. 
peace, reconciliation between mankind and God the Father has been fulfilled and it is available for any who would accept it. The Father's plan that was revealed through Isaiah has that day been fulfilled through the obedience of the servant who we see as Jesus the Christ. And by the will of the Father, He had successfully restored peace between God and mankind. I'm not finished yet, but I want to leave you with a question today. What will you do with this great grace? What will you do with this great grace? Will you accept it? Or do you think you can find peace on your own? And if you have accepted it, praise the Lord. I'm celebrating with you this morning. If you accept it, will you choose to follow the example the servant set for you and live a life worthy of your calling? I want to point out something in here. God came, well, God sent His Son, the servant Jesus, as a solution to our spiritual problem. But I want to tell you, we have a lot of physical practical problems in this world today. And Jesus set a wonderful example of how we can handle those problems. And I think if we could follow those examples a little better, we'd have a whole lot fewer problems uh, in this world. Let me, I just want to read and, and, um, from Isaiah again, starting in verse seven. He was, he was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Love. It was love Jesus had for the Father and love the Father and the Son had for His children. Maybe we should be a little more loving. It was humility. It wasn't fun for Jesus what He went through. But He put thoughts of others, the well-being of others, before Himself. It was submission. And in Jesus' case, submission to the Father's will. Submission unto death. It was meekness. You know what meekness means? I used to, when I heard meek, I used to think weak. That's not meekness. Meekness is power under control. I tell you, a beautiful picture of meekness is when God put the soldiers on the rear ends. When sorry. I'm saying, God, you understand. When Jesus put the soldiers on the rear ends and then allowed them to get back up and did not squish them like a bug. That is uh, power under control. Sacrifice. When's the last time you made a sacrifice for somebody in your life? You know what uh, the, the title for, they didn't use the name Jesus, but the title for Jesus in Isaiah? Servant. When's the last time you served those around you? I think a long suffering. He was patient. The Father is patient with us. Jesus was patient in his suffering and obedient 
to the Father. Obedience to the Father. He set a wonderful example for us to follow. And when I ask you, what will you do with that great grace if you accept it? Will you live a life worthy of your calling? What is that calling? To follow the example that Jesus set for us and to be obedient uh, to the will of the Father. I want to tell you that the Father will not force His love, His grace, or His gift of peace on you. Because if He did that, it wouldn't be a gift. But He will freely offer it to you and encourage you to accept it, to celebrate in it, to live as He designed you to, and enjoy the freedom from your debt of sin and the reconciliation that is serving Jesus our Messiah has made available to you. What will you do with this great grace? Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I believe it came alive today. Lord, and I pray again, make this grow in our heart. Lord, let Your truth grow in our heart. I pray that we would be humble servants. We can't match Jesus. May we be Your humble servants. What a privilege to be Your children. But Lord, as we enjoy the blessings of being child, children of the Most High God, may we be willing to serve You and be obedient to Your will, which is reconciliation and salvation for the lost. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You for the successful fulfillment of this wonderful prophecy and the hope that we now have in Jesus Christ. Amen.